the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We got to know God's Word. We got to get it into our hearts. And when we sense the enemy is working, to try to do something to discourage us from without, to try to weigh on us personally or weigh on our marriage or our family or whatever situation it might be. We have to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ, and in Jesus' name, stand firm, put on the full armor of God, and rebuke that enemy because we know that greater is he, Jesus, in us than he that is in the world. Amen. That's what we have to do. We have to do that. Hold on tight. Pastor Gary is on a roll today as he reminds you about the ongoing threat of the world on your heart, mind, and soul. If you want to know how to guard yourself from it, then this is the message for you. The good news is that the answer is what it's always been. Starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Make your faith stronger than your worldly desires. And to do that, you need to change your diet of social media and political bias to time in the Word and prayer with God as your main sources of nourishment. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Verse 24, Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. And you can skip verse 25. It just lists the territory boundaries. The last verse of that section, verse 28, says, This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And then moving north, you come to the half-tribe of Manasseh, verse 29. And Moses also had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim. Uh, So then it keeps referring to the territory names there, the boundaries. And then verse 32, go forward to verse 32. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. Okay, this is all on the east side of the Jordan River. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. So that outlines the territorial allotment to these two and a half tribes located on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They had gotten permission by Moses before Moses was succeeded by Joshua. So all of this was already predetermined under Moses' leadership, and thus they're getting these areas in which to live. I want to point out, though, a couple of things from this 13th chapter. 
The first one is, I ask you to circle the word inheritance. A couple of things about inheritance. Inheritance, that word appears more than 50 times in the book of Joshua. That is more times than any other book in the Bible. In fact, it appears 13 times just in chapter 13 that we read. And it speaks, of course, of the land allotment divided for the 12 tribes. That said, the word inheritance is also a very important word in the New Testament. Because just as the people of God received an allotment of land as their inheritance, the New Testament speaks of an inheritance for us in Jesus. Typically, an inheritance is only received when someone dies, correct? You don't get an inheritance unless someone dies and leaves you something. This is the idea behind the word inheritance in the New Testament. The one who died was Jesus. And what he left us was an inheritance, and it is literally out of this world. (laughs) The inheritance that we receive in Christ is a new identity in him, the forgiveness of sins by faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and our ultimate eternal reward, which is to spend eternity with him in heaven. That is our inheritance. And I would be remiss if we only read inheritance in terms of the Old Testament, particularly in a book where the word is mentioned more than any other time, without also talking about our inheritance in the Lord. So I want to shift just briefly to kind of bring all this home, because sometimes people read the Old Testament, they go, explain to me how this has an impact on my life today. All right. A lot of the Old Testament is foreshadowing. It's a picture of the things that are to come. Much of the Old Testament, you see, is laying the groundwork for what we understand in the New Testament. The Old Testament, quote, concealed, is the New Testament, quote, revealed, you see. And so there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that paint a picture of, foreshadow, give us a glimpse of the things that are to come. It's not always a perfect picture. Just like, you know, the idea that Joshua led people into the promised land and the promised land is a picture of heaven. Yeah, but not entirely because in the promised land, they still had some giants to slay. There were still some issues in the promised land on earth, not in heaven. There aren't going to be any issues in heaven. So it's not always a a perfect picture. But when we talk about inheritance, I want to just put up on the screen a couple of Bible verses to remind us of what is ours through faith in the Lord. So here's one example. Acts 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you what? An inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is what the Bible speaks about. We have an inheritance. Also, Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray also, Paul writes, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his what? Inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. How about Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the what? inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
And there are many more, but I'll just give one more out of 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an what? inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you. Somebody please say amen to that. Amen. This is what God has in store for us. We have an inheritance in him. His son has died and the will was read. And the will says that you can receive something you didn't earn, you don't deserve, but is given to you and me through faith in Jesus Christ. We are the recipients of his glorious inheritance. This is our joy. This is our hope. So it's important to understand we are children of inheritance. We are children of inheritance. Someone died and left us a gift. And that gift is salvation through faith in his name. Now, what potentially threatens our inheritance? Question for us. What can threaten our inheritance? I want to draw your attention back to a verse I read, but I just kind of skipped through it, and I want to circle back to it. Go back to verse 22. In verse 22, it says, The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. What can threaten our inheritance is something I call the Balaam effect. The Balaam effect that is mentioned here in verse 7, if you're unfamiliar with the story, the story of Balaam is mentioned in Numbers chapters 22, 23, and 24. It's not the only time Balaam is mentioned. There are different warnings in the New Testament about Balaam, and the last warning comes from the lips of Jesus to the church of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, rather verse 14, where Jesus warned the church at Pergamos, and he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, so it's applicable to us too in our day, to beware of the doctrine of Balaam, the teaching of Balaam. What was the doctrine and the teaching of Balaam? So let me just briefly revisit the story of Balaam from Numbers 22 to 24 so we can understand the warning and why it was so important that the Israelites laid a sword to Balaam because the Balaam in our lives needs to be destroyed too. Here's the story of Balaam. Balaam was a peculiar guy. When you read about him in Numbers 22 to 24, At first, he almost looks like he speaks on behalf of God because he is one who is confusing to Bible scholars as to does he follow God or or does he not? Now, we end up knowing that he doesn't really follow God because of what we read here in verse 7 of Joshua 13, that he was a soothsayer. Some of your translations, ESV and NIV, said that he practiced divination. You know what divination is? It's demonic witchcraft. So we end up, even in Numbers 22 to 24, he's kind of peculiar because even God tells him to go as the king Balak of the Moabites hires him, but yet at the same time, God uses him to pronounce blessings upon the Israelites. Very confusing. But at the end of the day, what we understand is, in reality, this guy was a demonically motivated and inspired practicing wizard of evil things. He was a soothsayer. He practiced divination. 
He was used by Satan and demonic things to do his bidding. And he was well known in his day such that the king of Balak, who was king of the Moabites, those are enemies of the Israelites, King Balak realized, I can't defeat the Israelites because I've seen the power of God working through them. And he acknowledged it. Again, it's another sad commentary on somebody who, instead of bending his knee to God and surrendering to God, decided to fight God. And and you can never fight God. So you're going to learn one way or another. You're going to bend the knee. You either do it on your own or God's going to help you. How many of you found out the hard way, right? Okay. So Balak, the king of the Moabites, hires Balaam to pronounce demonic curses upon the Israelites. Here's what Balak thinks. Balak thinks, I'm not going to be able to win a war against the Israelites because they have God on their side, but maybe I can conjure up demonic principalities and try to fight God's people that way. So he hires this guy named Balaam, and Balaam comes paid by King Balak to curse the Israelites. And many of you know the story how Balaam gets on a donkey and he's on his way to go curse the Israelites that he's been paid to do. And this donkey keeps seeing an angel, and the donkey then doesn't go forward, and Balaam doesn't see the angel. He starts beating the donkey, like, move, move for goodness sakes. You know, I got I got a work to do. I've been hired to go curse the Israelites. I need to go curse the Israelites. Finally, the Bible says, this is out of numbers, that the donkey just lies down underneath Balaam. And Balaam starts beating that donkey. Get up and get moving. And God opens the mouth of the donkey. Not the first time dumb things have come out of donkeys. (laughs) Just let that sink in. You'll get it on the way home. You'll get it on the way home. All right. Now listen. And if nothing else, it's a reference to me, okay? Because God can use any donkey to speak his word. All right. Now listen. The donkey talks to Balaam and says... Wilbur, you know, that's the, that's the image I get. But I'm old enough to remember Mr. Ed. So those of you who are too young are like, what was that? Anyway, the donkey speaks to Balaam and says, why have you been beating me these three times? Haven't I been a good donkey to you? Now, if you think it's weird that the donkey talked to Balaam, you know what's even weirder is that Balaam talked back without blinking an eye. <laughs> like he's Dr. Doolittle or something. He's just like... Well, what do you mean? You've lied down underneath me, and you need to get up and do this. I'm going to beat you some more. And if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. So I don't know what's more ridiculous, the donkey talking to Balaam or Balaam talking back. But when Balaam finally got to where he was going, this angel opposed him. He said, you're on a reckless path. But when Balaam went ahead anyway and started to pronounce curses over the Israelite people, perched high above the battlefield, Every time he opened his mouth to curse God's people, God filled his mouth with a blessing for God's people. Every time he got ready to curse them, to pronounce a demonic curse upon them, God filled his mouth with blessing and praise over the Israelites. And King Balak is like, what did you just say? He's like, I just, I just paid you to curse these people. You just blessed them. What are you doing? And Balaam's like, I can't help it. Every time I open my mouth, God just gives a blessing, and I speak a blessing. And Balaam's like, well, try again. And Balaam again. And he gives four, five different oracles, pronouncing curses. And every time you open up his mouth, God put a blessing on his lips. Can you imagine if God did this for you? Now, think about it. You're on your way to work. You're mad at rush hour traffic. Somebody cuts you off. You roll down your window to give them a piece of your mind. And you say, hey, God bless you. God loves you. Oh! 
That's what was happening. You're in some fight with your spouse. You're mad at him. You're just like, I can't believe you're ready to like curse him out. You're like, you're you hunk of hunk of burning love. Man, I love you. Okay. So that's the kind of thing. Wouldn't it be great if God did that, took all those nasty things we say and put wonderful blessings? Oh, that would be wonderful. That's what he does here in this situation. Now, what can threaten our inheritance? The demonic from without. You see, Balaam operated under the principalities of darkness. And we have to be mindful of the fact that there is an enemy of our souls. And Satan wants to destroy you. And he will go to great lengths to try to work on you from without. I'm not talking demonic possession. I'm talking Ephesians chapter 6. Paul talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood. A lot of times we think that each other is the enemy. We're not. That The flesh and blood issue is many times a demonic thing. It's the enemy working in ways that are not flesh and blood. It's of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so that's why in the rest of Ephesians 6, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. We got we to gotta take our stand against the fiery darts of the enemy, and we have to persevere. And listen, you remember in Luke chapter 4, when Satan tempted Jesus, how did Jesus combat the enemy every single time? How did Jesus do it? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture every single time. The enemy tempted him with something. Jesus' response was, it is written, it is written, it is written. We got to know God's word. We got to get it into our hearts. And when we sense the enemy is working to try to do something to discourage us from without, to try to weigh on us personally or weigh on our marriage or our family or whatever situation it might be, we have to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ, and in Jesus' name, stand firm, put on the full armor of God, and rebuke that enemy because we know that greater is he, Jesus, in us than he that is in the world. Amen. That's what we have to do. We have to do that. See, Balaam is this picture of the enemy working under demonic principalities to try to do something that God was greater than, you see. And so God loves to intervene. What does James 4, 7 tell us? Resist the devil and he will flee. And Peter also in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he talks about how the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in your faith. See, that's what we're told to do. And he's so subtle the way he works that it is so easy for us to think that the battle is visible or the battle is fleshly. And many times, many times the battle is the enemy working in some way, in some demonic way to try to discourage us or distract us or hinder us or tempt us. So we have to be on our guard. We have to constantly be on our guard so that our inheritance is not threatened. And then here's, here's the, other, the other thing. The second subpoint. We have to also be on our guard against the flesh from within. Let me explain why. When Balaam realized that he was not going to be able to curse God's people because every time he opened up his mouth, God put blessings in his mouth, here's what Balaam said to King Balak of the Moabites. He says, here's what you need to do because I'm not going to be able to curse these people. You need to send your own Moabite women into the camp of the Israeli soldiers 
and you need to sexually seduce them. That's how you will win from within. And so that's what Balak did. And he sent Moabite women among the encampment of the Israeli army. The Moabite women seduced the men sexually. And even beyond that, this is all in numbers, beyond that, they seduced the Israeli men to start worshiping and sacrificing to their false gods, the gods of Baal. And God had to step in in a severe way. And he broke out a plague among the Israeli army. And 24,000 soldiers died. You talk about threatening your inheritance. They died. They never got their inheritance. And why did they die? Because they were seduced by the flesh. We not only have to be on our guard against demonic principalities from without that are trying to wage war on us constantly, we have to also be aware of the battle from within. I am my greatest enemy. You are your greatest enemy. It is the battle from within, the fleshly sinful desires. You say, but Pastor Gary, I thought as Christians, we this, we that, we shouldn't have struggles, we should have victory. Yeah, well, I, I get that. But you see, when you get saved, your spirit gets regenerated, but not your body. Your body, your physical being that houses your spirit is still desiring the desires of the flesh. And your spirit desires the things of God. And thus there's this conflict constantly between what your spirit wants to do to please God and what your flesh wants to do to please yourself. And so the only way that we can combat those things of our flesh is to constantly, this is a day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute practice, we have to die constantly to ourselves. We have to crucify the flesh daily, the Bible says. In Romans 13, verse 14, it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify the lusts thereof. Make no provision. See, if we were honest about when our flesh starts to scream at us the most, it's when we've made provision to allow the flesh, a certain place. We cannot make any provision for the flesh. The flesh is insatiable. The flesh is never satisfied. So we have to constantly be waging war against our flesh and living to please God. And the only way you can start to do that is you feed your spirit and you starve the flesh so that your spirit grows stronger than your flesh. You know that silly game, you know, we used to take our kids, thank God our kids are older now, but now the grandkids are coming around, so we might have to go back to Chuck E. Cheese, I don't know, but I'm telling you what, I was so glad when the Lord delivered us from the demon of Chuck E. But there's this one game there, whack-a-mole, you know that whack-a-mole game? That game, to me, is a picture of what we have to be about in regards to the flesh. Because just as soon as you like, okay, there's this one thing in my flesh, I'm just going to, boom, then that, then some ugly part of your flesh comes up another way. And then you're like, boom, and then you're like, boom, boom, boom. And it's just, that's the way it is, gang. Get used to it. It's one whack-a-mole game after another. Because your flesh wants to dominate. But we have to be able 
to crucify the flesh and die to self. Feed our spirits with the Word of God. Draw near to Him. Grow in the Spirit. Die to self. Please God, not the flesh, so that we don't threaten our inheritance. Amen. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you, too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.